For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, sitting by my cozy fire and encouraging you to check out our latest backgrounder on the fatal policy flaw, the one where the alarmist's own computer models say, if every nation met its Paris Accord targets, it wouldn't change global temperature in the year 2100 by more than a tenth of a degree. And by the way, some viewers say they appreciate how concise that video was, which is the nicest way I've ever been told to stop driveling and get to the point. So, I'm going to remind you right off that there's snow on the ground and in the forecast, and there's a fire in the hearth, even though it's now 10 years since McLean's clickbaited readers with the year that winter died, saying, quote, coast to coast, we've had the warmest temperatures with the least snow in 65 years. Why we may never have a real Canadian winter again, end quote. So that's what they're calling every time someone tells you that this is the year climate change really hit. Especially if they do it in a year that saw snow on the Acropolis in Athens and on nearby beaches, and there were protests by passengers stranded at Istanbul airport by what the press insisted was not climate change, but just, quote, inclement weather, end quote. The only mention of climate in a Reuters story about how, quote, heavy snowfall is rare in Athens, but the city has now been hit by snowstorms for a second consecutive year, end quote, was when they quoted Greece's, quote, climate crisis and civil protection minister, end quote. Now, the Washington Post did concede that, quote, an intense winter storm blanketed Athens and several Greek islands in snow on Monday, places where such wintry weather is highly unusual, end quote, again, sidelining climate, and doing it even though the home of the Post and much of the northeastern United States has also had serious winter weather. As NBC warned on January 27th, quote, tens of millions under winter storm watches ahead of weekend nor'easter, end quote. So, children won't know what snow is, huh? More likely they won't know what a climate crisis minister is. And if it isn't warming, apparently it's still bad because it still is. An author in Wired magazine wailed, quote, The world was cooler in 2021 than 2020. That's not good news, end quote. Well, no, it never is. Then there's that volcano. When hunger went off in Tonga, a CBS news anchor blamed it on climate change. And he wasn't alone. There was NBC's, quote, calls for more Tonga aid, climate efforts from President Biden mount, end quote. They just can't help themselves. In the newsletter, we also share the news that if you're one of those people who prefers a gas stove to an electric stove because of um, instant response, you know, greater flexibility or more natural heating effect, Australia's ABC says you are a planet-destroying monster. Quote, Leaking methane from natural gas-burning stovetops is releasing the greenhouse gas equivalent of hundreds of thousands of cars, and cooking on gas stovetops is posing a risk to health, according to new research, end quote. How bad is it? Need you ask? The study was done in the U.S., and quote, according to today's results, gas leaks from stovetop cookers in 40 million homes in the U.S. produced about 28,000 tons of greenhouse gases every year, or the equivalent of emissions from around 500,000 petrol cars, end quote. Because what the story doesn't mention is the U.S. produces about 4.7 gigatons of CO2 emissions annually. So 28,000 is approximately 0%, as in 5.9 times 10 to the negative fourth. Or that the study was based on a study of 53 stoves in California. Not exactly a robust sample. But it was enough for them to dial up the usual activist experts, including one who said the fact we still have gas stoves is nuts and that, quote, we'll be in shock in a decade's time that we actually did this, end quote. And you can file that prediction with the end of winter and set it on fire with your gas stove in 2032. 
And now, a word from our sponsor. And that's you. Because at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we're dependent upon support from our viewers and our readers. Please go to our donate page, make a one-time pledge, or if you can, a monthly one. I'm not talking a lot of money, though. If you've got it, we'll take it. $2 a month, $3, $5. That's the sustaining funding that we need to produce these videos on our newsletter. And now, back to me. And now, if you want something really hard to believe, The Economist, the embodiment of sober establishment radicalism, has found the problem with European energy policy. They haven't done enough to make the dang stuff scarce and expensive. And here you thought the dumb thing was taking yourself hostage on behalf of Vladimir Putin. Or creating a situation where, the Telegraph reports, in Britain, quote, 2.5 million households can't pay their bills as cost of living crisis worsens, end quote. No, it's not that. It's dumb old America with its fracking and shipments of gas to Europe in the Ukraine crisis that just can't see what's right in front of their faces. Which doesn't include man-made CO2. Here at CDN, we've already pointed out the surprisingly poor correlation between atmospheric CO2 and temperature throughout history and prehistory. But now it turns out that there's a surprisingly poor correlation between atmospheric CO2 and man-made CO2. A study based on isotopes, because natural CO2 has quite a bit of carbon-14, but the kind generated from fossil fuels has virtually none, discovers that there's far less carbon-14-free CO2 in the atmosphere than you'd expect if we'd caused half the increase. It's almost as if the carbon cycle can't tell the difference and goes about releasing and absorbing it all in equal proportions. And as if temperature, not CO2, leads the dance in an essentially natural process. Which, if true, would help explain the entire historical and prehistoric record in precisely the way the alarmist thesis can't. This week's newsletter also continued our tour of the sunburnt lands up north, with a trip to Pond Inlet to see if the Canadian government's overly colourful chart of the roasting Arctic might be a nose stretcher, not a thermometer stretcher. So here's that seaside non-resorts records for January since 1923, and you see the monthly highs bouncing around between minus 20 and minus 35 for 60 years, and then surging to between minus 20 and minus 35. As for February and March, terrible. Can't this place read the brochure? But don't you read it and buy a beachfront property hoping to sunbathe or swim. Was that lyrical? I hope so, because now we turn to poetry, specifically of the Song and Tang dynasties in China, which lasted over six centuries from 618 AD. And we go in search of geese, spring, and climate data. Yes, in our desiccated souls, and those of some researchers, it's the incidental references to dates at which the frost returned or the geese did that leads us to rhapsodize that, gee, it was warmer then than in today's supposedly unprecedented scorching climate. I think that I will never see a poem lovely as a reconstructed temperature proxy series, or a 167-year precipitation record from the lower Yangtze River, courtesy of co2science.org, saying, if climate breakdown is meant to be causing more precipitation extremes, nobody told that river basin either. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and that's it for this week. You're welcome.